This is the Airplane Geeks Podcast. Our aim is to educate and inform you, explore and expand your passion for aviation, and entertain you a little along the way. I'm Max Flight. Our summer 2023 break continues, and so we bring you another replay from the past. This time, it's Jeff Bolton from episode 570, originally published September 18th, 2019. Jeff was the first person ever to film a B-2 stealth bomber cockpit tour narrated by the pilot in flight. He's also filmed a B-2 aerial refueling from the bomber's cockpit, and Jeff has taken a camera inside the B-52. Jeff tells the stories of the men, the women, and families of the United States military. He draws on his experiences after being embedded in military commands, combat theaters, and natural disaster zones around the world. In episode 680, my co-hosts were David Vanderhoof, Max Trescott, Rob Mark, and our main man, Micah. Here's our conversation. Again, we're speaking with Jeff Bolton. Jeff, um, I think you lead a, a very exciting life. Certainly when uh, we were first uh, contacted about you flying in a B-2 bomber, uh, that was uh, pretty special I think in and of itself, but being able to take a camera into the cockpit as well. What was the pre-flight like? Were there ground rules or restrictions that you had? There were no ground rules or restrictions in terms of what I filmed aboard the aircraft. Uh, it was not lost on me, and you will all appreciate this as uh, aviation geeks. It was not lost on me that I was going to get to to be the, the first person in history, civilian or military, to ever film on board the aircraft. There's no video that's ever been shot from the flight deck. There have been two official pictures released, one in 89 and another one I want to say in uh, 96 or so. Uh, and then there was a, a, a there have been two bootleg photographs that I know about that have been taken and released, but that's it. And so, again, full disclosure, what I was doing when I was boarding the aircraft was praying the Alan Shepard prayer. Dear Lord, please don't let me screw the pooch <laughs> because I used their gear and I'll explain that. And you could just imagine being the dude that gets to do that and screwing it up. Yeah. I, I just, I literally, I spent 24 hours just terrified that somehow it, it didn't go okay before uh, the pilot of the aircraft uh, texted me and they called me and he goes, dude, outstanding. Everything came out great. And I think I breathed for the first time in 24 hours. But <laughs> but they gave me – they actually gave me a bag uh, to take aboard uh, that was not my gear. And uh, I say this with a smile because you'll all get it uh, w without naming a, a brand. What I do know is that the gear I took was uh, from the 90s. All of it was from the 90s. Hmm. It had chips in it that we trusted and it had no transmit or receive capability, GPS, Bluetooth, et cetera. So they were dumb uh, devices uh, with relatively small cards. And so I could really only shoot. I shot, I want to say, maybe 30 to 35 minutes of video, and I took about 120 stills. Hmm. The cockpit was pretty interesting. It's a glass cockpit. It looked like something that uh, Trescott would feel completely at home at. It has gotten significant upgrades. There's various numbers out there, but the number that I hear the most consistently is that is that that, uh, that cockpit undergoes a rebuild as does the jet every seven to ten years or so. Hmm. And so they just cycle them back to Palmdale. They strip all the coatings off. They strip the skin off, and, and they completely empty it out. And, and that is in part 
and what I'm going to say to you is has been photographed. I think when the jet was still on the assembly floor in the late eighties, but in essence, what's behind the cockpit is a server room. And that's the best way that I can describe it to the eye. Uh, when you climb up the ladder, you're, you're in a server room and mm-hmm. there are a lot of servers there, a lot of computers, a lot of servers. Then you turn left, you step in, uh, to an area that's about five feet wide, five and a half feet wide, maybe three feet wide. Uh, and that is the, I guess what I would call sleeping area, right? That's where you rack out. And then you step forward into the cockpit. Well, they've rebuilt it significantly. So everything that you saw in there, uh, is both new technology, but it's driven by what I would call old school requirements. For example, uh, you have astral navigation, um, with the airplane. You couldn't see it on my side, but if you, if you put the camera out the left side of the aircraft, you can see the, the big glass cover for the astral navigation system. Uh, they plan on it on GPS denial. Um, they've, they've done that for a long time. And so later after the mission was over and I went back and I flew a 24 hour mission in the simulator, uh, and was dropping bombs. I was actually programming in lat longs, uh, because they train not to have GPS. So it's an odd combination of the old and the new. Hmm. Interesting. When the, uh, the B2 was maneuvering up to the KC-135 for the refueling. And I think you mentioned this in the in the video. The thing that struck me right away was the constant hand movement on the stick of the pilot. I mean, he was really finessing that thing, and it was not computer-controlled. At least it didn't look like it because of the amount of inputs he was giving. No, uh, no, no computer control at all. And and I, I say this, um, and I'm not I'm not being uh, ingratiating to you guys in any way, but I made that video for dudes like us who are geeks, right? Who yes. love aviation, who love the process, who love the technology, the equipment, the still what is the fantasy of flight and all those things. So, what I so I focused in the cockpit on the things that I wanted to see as uh, as a guy that loves aviation, and so. My tight focus on the stick and throttle on my side and then on his side. So you can see his hands doing it. But then you got the purity of seeing the stick movement and the throttle movement to me was one of the most remarkable pieces of airmanship I've ever seen. So you're trying to push a 330,000 pound airplane to within 20 feet of another 370,000 pound airplane, whatever it is, the 135 is. And the bow wave coming off the 135 is hitting the B2 and is causing it to behave in an unnatural way. So as an aviator, what you saw Wolf doing there was was having to manage the energy of the aircraft in order to creep really, really, really close, but do it with inputs uh, reacting to forces that are wholly abnormal for the airplane because of the bow wave. So couple that with the entrance for the boom being, I want to say it was about six feet behind the cockpit, just makes for a very difficult and awkward evolution. And it was, uh, I was mesmerized, I'll just tell you, uh, I was utterly mesmerized at watching the process. Of course, I was quiet the entire time. Uh, I I fly a lot in the military. I've I've flown, I don't know, 30 or 40 different aircraft, uh, old and new in the military. My my policy is to be quiet unless I'm really spoken to uh, in that time. I was afraid to breathe a word. I, I wouldn't have, but he was concentrating so fiercely that um, 
it was an incredible thing to see. And he was very gracious with me too. I ended up getting to fly the airplane a lot, uh, and you know, to, to be holding the stick and throttle of the B two and in aviating was uh, it's the stuff of dreams. Yes, you could see the concentration on his face too. I can understand why you wouldn't have said anything. I don't think any of us would have uh, wanted to interrupt that kind of concentration. One of the things that I was completely unaware of, and David probably knows all about this, is the visual cues that are on the belly of the KC-135 to assist with uh, proper positioning of the B-2. Yeah, that was another thing I wanted to capture is because you, you just have no sense of that, of course, when you see it from any other uh, any other position because you can't get another airplane snuggled up in there close enough to film that piece of the 135 while you're filming another aircraft, right? You could do it from the ground, but it simply doesn't have the effect, right? You don't get the sort of stereoscopic effect. And so I wanted to show the, you know, forward, back, up, down piece of that. And and the biggest part of that, Max, is we were in beautiful weather at 18,000, as, as I recall. Um, and imagine doing that at, at, in the clag uh, or at night uh, after you've flown 32 hours already, Right you're exhausted and you've got to do that in, in foul weather and, uh, and be lucid enough not to drive that probe through the airplane, um, in rough weather and, and tear up the skin of the airplane or, or worse. So it, it truly, uh, it truly is amazing to see the skill with which these young men and women operate. If you think about it, he was flying it as a, as a single seat airplane. I mean, I was there and, uh, so side note to that fun, funny story, which I think you guys will appreciate we flew the mission in the sim the day before. They they call it a WIST weapons systems trainer, um, but it's a simulator to the rest of us. Uh, we flew the mission in the sim, and he uh, we were coming in and and getting ready to land. And he goes, "Hey, why don't you land the airplane?" And uh, I said, "Okay, that'd be great." So he said, "I'll I'll kind of give you some clues. I'll drop the gear, uh, throw the spoilers out, et cetera, et cetera." And he said, "I'll take care of some of the easy stuff. You just fly the airplane." And uh, he he had warned me. He said, "Look, you're going to have to get the nose over because this thing loves to fly. When it gets in ground effect." If you don't push that nose over, it will fly down the entire runway and you will go around again. And and he kind of chuckled and he said, it's just one of those things that you don't think of. You see it, but your mind doesn't translate until you ask yourself why you're halfway down the runway and you're still flying. And so <laughs> we, we came over, uh, we came over the numbers and uh, he said, push more push. And uh, finally I, I pushed it over, got the mains down got the nose down, uh, braked, got to a stop, turned off in the last taxiway. And, and he looked over at me and he goes, well, that's good. He said, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm relieved because if I eat the fish and it all goes bad tomorrow, at least you can get us on deck. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I'm thinking, right. I don't want to be the guy that has to ride the rails and make global news to get, getting out of that thing. Um, but, uh, yeah, they're, they're, they're talented. They're funny. Uh, they're remarkable people, and in uh, the B two itself, uh, it was it was like looking out of Vader's helmet from the inside. Um, would be the best description. Just amazing. Uh, yeah, it's uh, uh, quite an opportunity for you to have done that, and for us to be able to to see these these videos. Now, are they part of the the Guardians series, or is that a separate event? Separate event. Um, I, 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 we might use some of this footage. I, I, I don't know. It, what we're doing for Guardians is taking a really a, a 12-part look at the, at the future of, of the U.S. nuclear mission, and that's driving part of flying the B-2 
uh, the B-52 flight that I did, which was crazier than the B-2 flight. All of that video began to drop just today uh, by coincidence um, at Defense News and online. And that is the mission where I did a full-up, no kidding, uh, Alcom nuclear release practice run where we uh, ran to the jet, did a cart start, pushed up those big eight motors as fast as we could, got in the air, uh, and then used all the, the procedures, codes, everything for nuclear release, simulated releasing 20 nuclear emissions, and then simulating getting home with zero aids, with no map aids of any kind, as if it was a, a post-apocalyptic yeah. Uh, event. Yeah, so... Um, Fellas, this got down to the pilot, and you'll see this in the video. He was wearing the Ant-Man mask, you know, the, the, the blast mask. Oh, yes. Yeah, he's got that on, and I, I put it in the tease video and the sizzle video for it. But I'm sitting filming that, and, and I'm saying to myself, am I channeling Peter Sellers and Dr. Strangelove right now? Hmm. Is, Slim, is Slim Pickens somewhere in this movie? Uh, because they are still training uh, to take the B-52 and uh, and go to nuclear war, and it was – uh, again, a mind-bending thing to be in the middle of that and be a part of it. So that's what Guardians is doing, is really going to look at all of those missions and processes through the eyes of the millennials because they're going to have to make a decision about whether or not we choose to do that as a nation. And I am both uh, highly interested and fascinated by the idea of what that future is going to be. Watching the video today, um, and I have a degree, I didn't know that we still had Alcums. Um, nuclear tipped outcome. So I, I was, when it came out of the thing, I went, okay, this has got to be old footage. And then um, we'll put a link to the show notes, but then Valerie and Sana put the defense news article today up on, on I was sort of like, okay, this is uh, all right. So this is God telling me that I, I'm a little out of the loop since I was studying nuclear warfare in 95. But yeah, I was sort of surprised. I, it's not, it's not something a mission we talk about anymore is the nuclear strike. We're so t- busy talking about conventional strikes, but we still have a nuclear mission that requires practice and rehearsal and choice to use. Yeah, and I'll, I'll tell you something um, that is here, – here's the stark reality of this from my perspective and, and getting to see these things from the inside. Putin thinks he can win a tactical nuclear war today. And in his eyes, and and you guys have done the reading like I have, in his eyes, a low-yield tactical nuke in a handful of places that uh, don't involve the United States is not something that we are going to respond to with with, with a nuclear response or not something that we are going to reply to, if you will, with a nuclear response. And if you look at at the nuclear weapons configuration of the Russians today, it's set in such a way that he believes he can win. And we are in a mad scramble right now to have a different weapon set and not just the city busters that we have. Because after the Cold War ended in 89, we went opposite directions. We kept our city busters. They kept their tactical nukes. And they've got many, many, many more than we do. So there's an undercurrent, exactly your point, inside the military that says we've got to have smaller, more effective weapons in the event that he decides he can win a tactical nuclear war. And that we're even having that discussion today tells you it's it's deja vu all over again, right? It's mm. uh, it, it's it's back to where it was, except now you have a resurgent Russia, a rising China, plus you have the nuclear terrorist whack-a-mole piece uh, that's been introduced to us over the last twenty years. 
not to mention Kashmir and India and Pakistan pointing theirs at each other. So, which has always been um, in the back of my mind. My college professor was like, "Yeah, if I had to bet where there would be a nuclear war started, it would be Pakistan and India." Which, you know, I, every time the word Kashmir comes up, I sort of freak out because those words come across my mind. But sure, with good reason. And and let's let's all be again brutally honest here. Uh, I wouldn't trust the Russians with a book of matches, much less nuclear weapons. We we just watched the uh, the film series Chernobyl on Netflix. My wife and I, and my wife looked over at me and she said, "Jeff, was it really like that?" And I said, "Yes." And she said, "Are they really like that?" And I just pulled out my phone and I showed her the uh, the explosion at the at the at the base where they were developing that nuclear powered missile. What was that? Six eight weeks ago killed seven scientists hmm. and then you go back two months ago they killed 15 sailors on a nuclear uh, submarine the russians they may kill us all through sheer incompetence so if we get past all of that now we have to deal with the reality of the employment of these weapons in a world that's getting increasingly unstable and that's that's really where why the guardian series i think needs to be made we're not making that kind of programming and asking those kinds of questions today. And I'm not there to talk politics with anybody. It's, in fact, it has nothing to do with that. It's whether or not our nation is going to continue to choose to, to fulfill that role uh, of, in essence, keeping the globe safe. You're going to have outbreaks uh, of, of small wars, but we haven't had anything remotely like World War II since we dropped those two weapons. So it's a, it's a fascinating and difficult concept. Jeff, earlier you mentioned that this was targeted to millennials. Can you talk a little bit about that? Yeah, I and you know I say this a lot. Uh, you know, these a lot of the millennials, you know, they they get just an awful rap, and <laughs> I think they deserve it. <laughs> they well, in some cases they Sometimes. do, but but I here's what I got to say. Um, I've got a 22 and a 25 year old. They don't act like your typical millennials, th- thankfully, but they didn't get participation trophies either. And so I, I feel like a lot of times we've had people who have taken the millennials, gave them all these participation trophies for getting out of bed at 10 in the morning, and then we didn't turn, when they didn't turn out quite right, then they go, well, you're, just, you're, you're not worth anything. I, I think they're no different than we were as youngsters. you got to meet them where they are. And so that's our goal with Guardians and some other television series that we have in development is let's engage with them and use the tools and techniques and, and uh, technologies that they understand and that are a part of their world, and let's put these substantive issues in front of them and engage with them. Because the opposite is, if we don't do that, we are going to wake up one day and they're going to go, well, why do we have 12 nuclear missile uh, submarines? Those don't do us any good. Let's pound them into plowshares and uh, the world can take care of itself. Uh, I personally don't think that that's we, that we want an uninformed 85 million Americans who are going to be even bigger than the boomers in numbers. I don't think that leaving them uninformed without understanding their choices is smart on our part. And that's why we want to try to speak to them in a very grounded level way and reach them. Hmm. That's really good because I seem to run across a lot of people, a lot of older people, you know, of my generation, let's say baby boomers who are taking the attitude almost of just throwing their hands up and saying, well, these young folks are going to have to figure it out, you know, and they they give up. And uh, communicating to them in a way that uh, uh, helps them understand the situation, understand the environment, make good decisions is, I think, is, is really important. Think of how hard that is, right? Because their references for nuclear war 
is a video game series called Fallout. <laughs> oh, that's scary. Right? Yeah. That, that, Exactly. That was part of the motivation. As I was watching some some kids play Fallout, that's all they know about nuclear war. They don't know that we that we practice for it. They don't know that we maintain that capability. They have no idea. And so I just I feel compelled to do that. It's look. I'll freely admit it's got a big grand Don Quixote element to it, but I want to do it. I really do. Yeah, I think it's important. Now, Guardians: A Mission for Peace is in pre production now. Yes, we're out. I'm out raising money because the other reason that I did this in the way that I did is to do it as a not-for-profit. So we've set up specifically for the purpose of making this type of programming uh, a not-for-profit called Educational Media Enterprises. And in that way, we can go to people of like mind who have foundations uh, and, and, and corporations that have foundations and make this kind of program very similar to the PBS model, but specifically designed to reach the, these millennials and Gen X and Gen Y young people, and distribute that not just through a single entity like a PBS, but across multiple entities because the way they consume news and content today is so radically different than the way we did, with at least the way I did with three channels, PBS and a UHF, if you were lucky. Um, so again, meeting them where there are means. Doing this as a not-for-profit, we can have transparency in where the money goes, and we can involve a, a great many more people and foundations by doing it that way. This is EducateMedia.org? EducateMedia.org. Yes, right, right. Um, so uh, so in, in terms of the uh, pre-production process, uh, funding, of course, is an issue, and you're undertaking the research, the interviews now, things like that? Yeah, I would, I would tell you, and you guys will get this as, uh, as aviation geeks, this defense news series, which next goes to, I go up to off at Air Force Base to fly the Doomsday Jet, uh, the E-4B, Next month, um, we're going to go up and, and get inside that mission. Then we'll do command and control stuff at Barksdale and Offutt, then a missile field, probably Wyoming, uh, and then a missile boat. All of those defense news pieces that I'm going out and producing with them are seed corn for the television series of Guardians. And I did that very specifically because I didn't want to go out and make the television programming without understanding precisely where we are today in the mission. And so this year plus probably be 18 month process of looking at all of these missions, flying the aircraft and going aboard the submarine and all those things, all of those are really obviously doing the job that we want them to do and defense news to, to provide news and inform the public. They're also informing us about how to build out our scripts for the television series of guardians. And what kind of cooperation are you getting or are you finding with the Air Force and the other other military branches? So it's a hard that's hard. Uh, I'll I'll tell you in all truthfulness because these are big concepts and big ideas and that's not what public affairs is typically built to do, right? You have public affairs that goes all the way down to a to a wing level, a base level, a command level, a numbered Air Force level, uh and they have a look at at what they do. And so in order to do something like this at this size uh, over the years, uh, I've just had to go to increasing levels of, uh, of uh, you know, of public affairs people and generals, et cetera, to get in admirals to get the cooperation to do these these things that are that are this big. And so I've gotten a lot of cooperation, but it's taken years and years to put it together. Hmm. Yeah, I imagine. Well, what does the overall timeline look like? When do you think this might start to become available? 
I'd like to see us go into production uh, with Guardians next year sometime, maybe late in the year next time, maybe a year from now. We want to get the Defense News um, series wrapped up in totality, and that's a big lift for them and for me personally. Uh, you know, we'll go out and we'll be on a, on a base for two, three, four, five days, uh, shooting, flying, and then we've got to go into production and and produce some material, which they have done in uh, largely in D.C. in a really remarkable way. Great staff. You mentioned Valerie earlier. Uh, Jeff Martin, Aaron, Jill—they're um, just—they're uh, just sharp people, and it's been a joy to work with them. I just want to touch on uh, briefly the uh, previous work that you did—the documentary film *America's Marine Aviators*, and that was from a couple of years ago. Did that air on PBS? It actually aired on PBS. It's uh, on Prime right now, um, and that was a, another one of those Don Quixote things. Uh, I was out actually doing some work for Wings of Gold, uh, writing about marine aviation. And I ended up flying with them in the Hornet uh, a couple of different times and getting inside their mission. And I just enjoyed who the Marines were as, as, as sort of a subculture of military pilots. The purpose wasn't to point out, you know, Marine pilots being better than Navy or Air Force pilots or, or Army pilots, but, but just, and I pulled in the first time on a Marine Corps base to, to a squadron Ninety uh, percent of the vehicles in the parking lot were trucks, so they're very blue collar. Protect a nineteen year old kid on the ground with a rifle is what they care about. And so I set out to produce that film, and and we did that. It's nonlinear. There's no narrator. It was very difficult to string it together, but we wanted to do it because we wanted these Marines in their own words and and not just have a narrator sort of overbearing the entire process. And we have a lot of families in there. Uh, it's an emotional film, and, and we designed it that way because it deals a lot with deployments. It deals with loss. Uh, it deals with just how difficult it is to strap on the, you know, the, the armor of, uh, of U.S. military aviation and go to work every day. It's a dangerous, difficult thing, and the toll that it takes uh, on families is significant. So you know, we, had a, we had a very clear vision to make that film. We did. It was very successful. And it's you can see it at no cost. I'm not telling you this for money, but it, if you have a Prime membership, it's on Prime, and uh, it's it's a film I'm very proud of. And I have lifelong friends from that uh, from making that film that that I made as a civilian, uh, bumping around in the Marine Corps, and I got to do carrier ops in the Hornet, go through Navy water survival, and all kinds of exciting stuff. It was it was an amazing experience. But the friendships were the, the greatest gift that came from that. Mm, yeah, not surprising. And if you don't have Prime, I think you can rent it for $1.99. So it's... Uh, that, that, that's right. It, yeah, it, it's available there too. I, I just didn't, I didn't want to be uh, uh, a, a profiteering. Yeah, that, I love that the movie, guy. But, you know, I, yeah, I didn't want to be that guy. Yeah, that's fine. That's fine. All right, good. So the best way for... Well, we're going to put the uh, links to the uh, some of the videos... The B-2 uh, bomber videos, I think there's two that we have, um, and we'll try to – you said the, the B-52 videos dropped today, so we, we can probably they did, put those yeah. there in there. Four of, I think four or five of them that dropped on Defense News, I think we're going to drop that tease video with uh, with uh, Swift. It's call sign with Swift. We're in the Ant-Man mask. Uh, I think we're going to drop that in a day or two. They're still working on that. Uh, but yeah, that I would appreciate you guys doing that. And I, I got to say this too. If you're ever one of the three of you, if you're – if you're unable to come geek out, man, coach put me in. Um, <laughs> I, I, I do this. I do this at the drop of a heartbeat uh, of a hat with you guys. This is uh, really fun. 
Oh, fantastic. That's really great. Anything else that uh, that you want, want to direct our uh, listeners to? Um, uh, you have a YouTube channel. We put that in the show notes as well. Anything else where folks should uh, find you online or in social media? Well, I, I think no. Well, you 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 guys have been very gracious in covering that, and I, I don't want to I don't want to belabor any of that. But just to say that I mentioned to you that I I'm a volunteer at the Kavanaugh Flight Museum, and we fly around the country doing a show to honor Vietnam veterans, and and that romance of aviation is uh, for me was yesterday afternoon. I got to come home. Uh, to Dallas for a couple hours in a Sky Raider in an 85 in the right seat. I, I got a lot of stick time in there. Um, and my, I always go out to the men and women uh, that serve in our military that are you know, flying military aircraft all over this planet uh, while we're doing this. And I always think of them and their families. And, and I'm grateful for the gift to be able to just sit and have the conversation that we're having. And they help us provide that. And that's, that's pretty solid. And that website is CAV Flight. Dot org C-A-V- That's right. F-L-I-G-H-T dot org. And uh, rides are possible in uh, a number of different aircraft. An O2A Skymaster? Yeah, the O2 is flown uh, uh, regularly. It was flying yesterday. Uh, we have a Huey that you can take a ride in. Uh, we have Sky Raiders. Uh, we have an 85 Sky Raiders uh, that you can actually go fly and ride in. Um, Stearman. Uh, it goes Mustang. Uh, it goes on and on. Uh, we we actually fly a C seven Caribou, so I'm I'm hitting all of you as geeks there. We have one of only two Caribous flying in the world. Uh, fantastic airplane, bullet holes uh, in it, repaired of course from Vietnam. Uh, but wow. yeah, it's uh, it's a real joy to get to fly those airplanes and honor Vietnam veterans. And and the vast majority of them, if you if you somebody turns up in Dallas, you can actually come buy a ride in. And again, it's a not for profit. It's just designed not to make money, but to keep the aircraft flying. Fantastic. I'm actually going to be in Texas next year. I've been putting together a, a a list of places I need to go to, and it's turning out to be Max's big cross-country <laughs> uh, adventure. And so I'm going to put uh, I'm going to put Kavanaugh on there as well. And, uh, yep. You put, put Dallas there. I'll buy dinner and uh, take you to the museum, and you'll have a home if you get here with us. All right. It's a deal. All right. Jeff Bolton, want to thank you so much for spending us a little time with us and our audience. Uh, an av geek like you, like you say, we may have to uh, press you into service in the future just to, to have uh, a great conversation. We really appreciate it. Uh, I'd be thrilled to do that. And remember, talking about my stuff is not a requirement of that. You guys have plenty of stuff to talk about, which is great. <laughs> I looked at the show run and I'm like, you mean we get to talk about all this stuff? Because I'm I'm used to just talking about this with my friends and other pilots uh, that you know guys that fly the airplanes at the museum. So I'd love to do that. Thank you for having me as a guest. Thank you for listening to this Airplane Geeks replay of our conversation with Jeff Bolton in episode 570. Jeff's website is jeffbolton.org. He produced the documentary film America's Marine Aviators, which is available on Amazon Prime Video. And he's developing a documentary series called The Watch, America's Nuclear Mission Revealed. And that examines the United States military's global nuclear mission in the 21st century. You can find links to all those in the show notes at AirplaneGeeks.com. Our email address is thegeeks at AirplaneGeeks.com. And if you'd like to get an invitation to our Slack listener team or our Discord server, Write to us at that same email address and we'll send you an invitation. So please join us again next time as we talk aviation on the Airplane Geeks podcast. Bye, everybody.